Today, many busy ports around the nation are marking World Maritime Day with ship tours, ceremonies, and special events. The day is about highlighting topics that most of us don't think about very often, things like ships and ship safety and navigation. And in this spirit, we're privileged to have the director of NOAA's Coast Survey join us. We're going to cover a lot of water in this episode. You want to know what nautical charts have to do with Thomas Jefferson, with minesweepers and the stuff you buy in big box stores? Just how big are some of the ships plying our waterways these days? What effect might rising sea levels have on the future of shipping? Stick around to find out. It's October 16th, 2009. It's World Maritime Day, and this is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. Well, we're joined today by Captain Steve Barnum. Captain Barnum has been a NOAA Corps officer for nearly three decades. He's captained five different NOAA ships during his career, and for the past three and a half years, he's served as the U.S. National Hydrographer and the director of NOAA's Coast Survey. So what exactly does he do in his current job? Well, let's let Captain Barnum explain in his own words. I'm the belly button, if you will, for nautical charting for the United States. So I'm responsible to produce nautical charts for safe shipping for all of our waters to include the territories and the exclusive economic zone. So about 3.4 square million nautical miles. Nautical charts are like maps, but with a difference. Now, maps, of course, show you where you can go, and nautical charts do as well. But nautical charts also show you where you can't go. And these charts show what the coastlines look like. They show water depths, what the sea bottom looks like. They show dangers to navigation, and they show location of navigation aids. And all of this helps mariners to get from point A to point B safely. In other words, the charts help keep ships from turning into shipwrecks. Now, while that's pretty straightforward, how these charts are produced is a more complicated story, and it might surprise you. Now, the main thing to know is that the U.S. has an unbelievable amount of shoreline and underwater territory to chart. And over the years, the tools that have been used have ranged from the simple to mapping the depths with state-of-the-art sonar and satellites. And it's not an easy job. Mariners have been at this for over two centuries now, and it's still a work in progress. There are literally about 95,000 lineal nautical miles of shoreline and, as I said earlier, 3.4 square million nautical miles of water, underwater territory, if you will. About half of that still has lead line soundings, and, and those are soundings that are taken with, a, if you think in terms of a lead with a rope on the end of it, and some of that data may extend back into the 1800s or to the days of, in the case of the Alaskan charts, shoreline that was derived from the Russian charts when we purchased it. So it's taken us 200 years to map our coasts and there's still many parts that are uncharted and many parts that we don't know much about. And the information is old, but it's the best information we have. Take this in context, it sounds pretty dire for the United States, but in the look at a world view, only 5% of the oceans have been mapped to modern standards. And many of those areas have never been charted, particularly in areas of the Arctic and and some other regions of the world have, are blank, meaning there's no soundings. Now, it's important here to make a distinction. Critical shipping lanes, ports, and harbors are generally charted in fine detail using modern tools like multi-beams and side-scan sonar. And this level of detail is critical for safe navigation in our busiest waterways, as you can imagine. But there's another side to it that not many people think about. National security is, is 
actually one of the prime needs for having accurate nautical charts. Military vessels have to be able to come and go freely from our ports, and without accurate nautical charts, their movement would be impeded. And high-detail sonar readings at the bottom of the seafloor can also play a big role during homeland security threats. One of the uh, usefulness of the multi-beam sonar and side-scan sonar is that we can get a good, accurate picture of the bottom. It's very useful to the Navy if somebody uh, says they put something in the water because if we have an accurate baseline of the image of all the objects that are on the bottom, then, again, if somebody puts something in the water or says they put something in the water, the mine hunters will come in and they can much more efficiently sweep a harbor to open it back up for business. And our economy operates on a just-in-time basis, meaning that in some cases, some ports only have two or three days of fuel or supplies. So it's very important to be able to open our ports very quickly in the event of, of a disaster or a, uh, somebody saying they may have put some improvised explosive device in the water. So now we've talked about two big uses for nautical charts, safety and national security. But Captain Barnum just touched on another important aspect of why charts are critical, and that's the economy. Well, safety, security, and commerce have been the driving forces behind the development of charts for over 200 years. And this is something else that might surprise you. This branch of NOAA, Coast Survey, traces its roots back to the early 19th century. In fact, it's the oldest scientific agency in America. The Coast Survey, or Survey of the Coast as it was called in 1807, was established by President Thomas Jefferson. And the reason he established it is because more ships were being lost at sea to shipwrecks and poor charts than were ships at war. And so he saw the value of, of shipping to the prosperity of the United States for trade. Now that, the value of shipping to our nation's economy, is more critical now than it's ever been. If you add up all the ships and barges carrying goods around the nation, you begin to see just how colossal the maritime transportation system is. By weight, our marine highways carry more than three quarters of all U.S. goods and supplies. And this cargo contributes more than three quarters of a billion dollars to the nation's economy. It creates jobs for more than 13 million people. Now, Captain Barnum puts it like this. Nautical charts are one piece in the larger marine transportation system. And the marine transportation system is a system I think the general public is unaware of. Not that they may not be appreciative of it, but it's been termed the hidden highway or the hidden transportation system. It's phenomenal. 95% of our goods by weight arrive by ship. Well over half of our uh, domestic oil consumption comes by ship. The grain that we export to countries around the world goes by ship. So uh, our economy depends upon it. And those ships are getting bigger and bigger. They stick up out of the water higher than ever before, and their draft, part of the ship below the water, can extend down as far as a five-story building. And this adds another layer of complexity to managing the maritime highway in the 21st century. The vessels today are bigger than ever. Some of these vessels are, are in excess of 1,000 feet in length, in some cases well over 100 feet in width. Some ships are so large they never see land. There's a port off the coast of Louisiana called the Louisiana Offshore Oil Platform where these ultra-deep draft tankers uh, come to discharge their, their product out of sight of land. That's because of the drafts are so deep. In many of our ports, they're challenged by these larger ships because the infrastructure is not kept up with the, the pace of change of the size of these ships. 
The larger a ship, it's an economy scale issue. The larger the ship, the more efficient it is to carry the product with a certain number of crew. So these larger ships, as they try to navigate in the waters of our various ports in our nation, are challenged in many ways, not only from the draft of the, uh, the channels and the waterways leading into the port, but also the infrastructure of the bridges that span many of these waterways. Who would have thought that the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, the approaches to New York, for those that have seen that, would be an impediment to some of the ships today? The Verrazano Bridge, by the way, is the largest suspension bridge in the world. The roadway of the bridge is 226 feet above the water. So we now know that the marine highway is huge, and we know that ships are getting bigger. Well, traffic on our waterways is also on the rise. By some estimates, this system is expected to double or even triple in size by 2020. And Captain Barnum said that one of the main driving forces behind this is that it's just so much more economical to ship our goods around by ship. Up until our recent financial setback, uh, shipping was growing at about 7% per year, uh, which is pretty phenomenal growth. And there's increased uh, pressure on our waterways, and so a lot of folks are also looking at uh, smart transportation of how to get trucks off the roads and using these underutilized waterways. So uh, you'd have these major ports with feeder ports off these smaller, going from these larger ports to these smaller ports, again, to get vehicle traffic trucks off the road, and also to be a much more efficient movement of goods and services uh, barge with a tug can carry much, much, much more product or goods than uh, equivalent amount of trucks, much more efficiently. How much more efficiently? Well, picture this. Ships that used to carry two to 3,000, um, they're called uh, terror-equivalent units. Think of them as a containers or a, a tractor-trailer box. Some of the latest ships carry 15,000 TEU, so uh, think of that as 15,000 tractor-trailer boxes on a ship. And think of what that means, uh, the capacity when you look at the number of trucks stay on an interstate, and think 15,000. This is just one ship. So it looks like we can expect more of this in the future. Bigger ships, more of these ships, and they're carrying more of our goods and products around the nation's waterways than ever before. Imagine them sliding into ports with only inches to spare from the tops of bridges or the bottoms of channels. Of course, the tricky part of this business for Coast Survey that our waterways are ever-changing. The hazards on the bottom of the seafloor don't stay in one place. So that means that work continues nonstop to keep nautical charts up to date. In the future, this task could get even more challenging. And before we let Captain Barnum go, we threw out one last question. How might climate change affect the maritime transportation system? I'm not sure that we know exactly what the impacts will be. We know what the impacts could be with sea level rise. Of course, uh, that's going to make the, the uh, give all the ships more draft, but I talked about existing infrastructure. That's going to make less distance between the bottoms of the bridges and the surface, the water, so they'll have a tougher time fitting under these bridges. Uh, certainly there's issues with the waterfronts and the transportation infrastructure of the rail and the highway connections. It's not just the ships coming to the port. They have to be able to offload their goods and uh, product and get it onto the rail and other transportation systems uh, and to get it into middle America. So much of that infrastructure is at risk with sea level rise and something that will have to be addressed as we look to the future. 
Well, thank you for joining us for this World Maritime Day special. We hope you learned something new about the nautical activities going on each day around the country. And a special thanks to Captain Steve Barnum. He's the director of NOAA's Office of Coast Survey, and he serves as the U.S. National Hydrographer. And we wish Captain Barnum fair winds and following seas. He's going to be retiring at the end of the month after 29 years of service in the NOAA Corps. Well, you don't need a nautical chart to find our website. Just sail over to oceanservice.noaa.gov. We hope you visit us. If you have any questions about this week's podcast, about the National Ocean Service, or about our ocean, you can find answers there. And if you want, you can also send us an email. We're at nos.info at noaa.gov. And now, bring in the ocean. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you.